Hey, good morning. Today's daf is daf Yud Zayin. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Shein Abbas Yitzchak and Yitzchak Leib Ben Yosef. May the Neshama have an Aliyah and may the memory be a blessing. It is also for for Shleima of Yitzchak Yehuda Ben Miriam. May he have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, so we were yesterday we were discussed um, at the end of the daf we mentioned that uh, Moshe uh, Mordechai actually went down in some of his colleagues' eyes. And that was because he was involved in saving the Jewish people and it took away from his Torah learning time. So with that as an, with that as an aside, the Gemara now brings three teachings, and this will take us to the end of the Perek, about the greatness of Torah learning. So Omar Rav Yosef, Godel Talmud Torah, Yosef mi Hatzola Snafoshos. Talmud Torah is greater than Hatzola Snafoshos. In the first time when it's counting the sage, some of the sages of that generation accounts, it lists Mordechai after four of them. And many years later, but after the Purim story, it lists him after five people. So he's gone down in ranks. And now it brings up Sukim, so we see Mordechai is listed fifth in the Pasuk, after four. So again, there he's listed. Um, he's listed um, sixth in the Pasuk after five. So that's uh, so there we see that just because he took off time to save B'nai Israel, he went down in his ranking. So that's what the Gemara. Um, so, so that's the point is that we see that taking off time from Torah learning, even to save lives, has a negative aspect. Now, obviously, when you're faced with the the decision in your own life to save a life or to learn Torah, you have to choose save a life. We know technically that's the that's the requirement. Pikuach nefesh, doiches hakol. Saving lives pushes aside everything. However, there's a special, there is a special dimension of someone who gets to commit themselves to learning Torah, and if they, or someone who's learning Torah, and that there's an aspect of losing out if you don't do that. Again, you get the opportunity to save the Jewish nation, or to go to your shir, or to have your chavrusa, obviously save the Jewish nation. But again, there's a special aspect of someone who, I guess, is there's a special aspect of someone who's not put in that position that they have to make such a choice that they get to just learn. Um, you know, similarly, I think we can say with many aspects, different people have different ra- roles to play in the community and in society. Some people, obviously, those who are lucky, whose chus is that they get to spend their days involved in Torah, teach, learning Torah and teaching Torah, there's a special dimension there. But don't detract, and obviously maybe your contribution or X's contribution has to be in a different way, and that would be how they fulfill their um, their mitzvah, um, or yeah, live their lives. I think it's a, um, I mean, just on a, on, on a similar on a similar note, we see uh, so the tree of life for those who take hold of it, and they learn that as a drosha that those who support Torah get as much light or get the schus of of uh, those that they that are learning the Torah. I think that's a similar thing. Again, obviously, those who are learning Torah have are lucky, and there's a special dimension, a special merit, and a special quality to a degree that is greater than saving lives. 
But on the other hand, sometimes, even though that's the ultimate, there are other things that you have to take care of before you get to learn Torah. Um, okay, the second teaching. Learning Torah is greater than building the base of Midrash. As long as Baruch Benaria was alive, Ezra never left his Rebbe to go up to Eretz Yisrael and rebuild the base of Midrash. And Rashi says it very clearly. Why don't we find that Ezra went up with Zerubavel? She waited a few kings later till the seventh year of Daryovesh Achron. After they already started to build, already they built the base Amigdash. And the Midrash explains because he was busy learning Torah from Baruch Benneri in Bavel. So he decided oh, that's more fitting for me than building the base Amigdash. Now, interestingly enough, again, building the base Amigdash in many aspects would override the mitzvah of learning Torah. Obviously, so Ezra must have thought that they would have managed without him. They didn't, and they needed him to go up. But that's the, uh, that's the teaching, is that he chose, again, for him, he knew learning Torah would have been better, was better than building the base of Mikdash. Then it says, another third teaching, it says, We find learning Torah is greater than Kibbut Aim. As long as Yaakov was learning in the yeshiva of base of Aver, the 14 years that he was learning in the yeshiva, he wasn't punished. And now what we're going to go through is a whole calculation to show that basically we're going to add up a few years, arrive at that when Yaakov went down to Egypt before Paro, according to our calculation, he should have been 116. But the Pasuk says that he was 140, 130. We see that 14 years missing. We also contrast the time that Yosef was away from Yaakov is the same amount. That was a punishment to Yaakov for abandoning his parents. So we're going to see that in that calculation, that 14 years that were taken off the list of, of the years of, of uh, Yaakov's sin for having abandoned his parents for the lack of kibbutz of Aim. So the proof will, yeah, so let's go through it quickly. So he says, Why do we list how old Yishmael was? So that we can work out the years of Yaakov. As the Pesach says, He was 137 years old. How, old. how much older was Yishmael than Yitzchak? We know that both Avram's sons are based on Shonim. 14 years. Avram was 86. Beledes Hagar es Yishmael Avram. When... Yishmol gave when Hagar gave birth to Yishmol for Avram. Uksiv avarate va Avraham ben maashono ba hulad es Yitzchak mano. Avram was a hundred, so we see he was eighty-six when he had his first son, hundred when he had his second son. So we see that Yishmol was fourteen years older than Yitzchak. Yitzchak ben shishim shono beledes oisom. Yitzchak was sixty when he had Yaakov and Esav. Bar kama have Yishmol to kid istiolid Yaakov. How old was Yishmael when Yaakov was born? Shivim Arba, 74 years. Kamaposhiminahu. So how, how much longer did Yishmael have to live if he was 74 when his nephews were born? How much older was he? How, how much longer? 
I mean, again, that would again be 137 minus 74. She's in the class, 63 years. But Tanya, and we learned to the price. So, Yaakov Avinu, Beshashet is Borech, my Oviv, Ben Shishim, Veshaloshono. Yaakov was 63 years old when he fled from his parents. Remember, Esau wanted to kill him after he stole the Brocha, so he had to flee. He was 63 years old then. And that was the time when Yishmael died. How do we know that's when Yishmael died on that, at that same time? It saw that Yitzchak had blessed Yaakov instead of him. So Yitzchak went to Yishmael. He took for a wife, Machlas, the daughter of Yishmael, the brother of Navios. Now, Mimashma, Shenemar, Bas Yishmael, Enyodeya, Shehi, Achos Novios. From the fact that he was the daughter, that Machlas was the daughter of Yishmael, obviously she was the brother of Novios. What's the Apostle coming to teach us? Telling me that she's the sister of Novios. It was. It's to teach us that Yishmael agreed to the Shidduch between Asaph and his daughter Naviois, and then he died, and Naviois prepared the, her, her brother prepared the wedding. Now, so all that was at that time when, um, when, Yaakov, when, um, when Yaakov was 63 years old. It says, now she's in the class of Abbasar Adamisyaled Yosef. We know then. So then we get 63 was when Yaakov fled and that time. And then he worked. Remember, he was at Lavan for 14 years till Yosef was born. So it's Ho'ashivim for the Shiva. We have 77. Uksiv, and it's written, Yosef ben Shloishim Shona ba'amdolif paro. Yosef was 30 years old when he stood before paro. So how old was Yaakov at this point? Ho'omeya v'sheva. He was 100 and... Seven. When so again, again he hadn't met. You remember, Yaakov was sitting in his thing. He thought Joseph had died, but Yosef. But he was 107 at the same time that Yosef went before Paro. Then what? Remember, he went to before Paro because of the dream. So there was the Shav to Shiva, the Tarti to Kanfo. There were the seven years of abundance and the two years of famine. So that takes us up. Homer the Shistar. We up to 116. And in the second year of famine was when the brother Yaakov and the brothers went down. To Egypt and Yosef revealed himself. So, how old was Yaakov when that happened according to our calculation? 116. But the problem is, Uksiv, but it's written by Yomi Parol Yaakov, Kama Yamei Shnei Chayecho. Paro asked Yaakov, How old are you? Yomi Yaakov, Paro Yamei Shnei Migurai Shloishim Umashono. My wanderings have been, I'm a, I've had 130 years of wandering. What? Didn't we calculate it? It was only 116. We're missing a whole lot of years. According to Yaakov, when he met Paro, we calculated 116, but he said, I'm 130. So he says, For the, It must be that the 14 years while he was in the house of Aver, they didn't count when he was learning in the yeshiva, you know, not the base, as house base, as in yeshiva of Aver, wasn't counted. And then if you add on 14 to 16, you get. Now we're going to see the Tanya of Yaakov, the base Aver, Mutman, Arbo Esrei Shono. Yaakov hid in the yeshiva of Aver for 14 years. 
Aver Meis, La'acha Sheyorid Yaakov Avinu, La'aram Noraim, Shtei Shonim. And Aver died two years after Yaakov reached Aram Noraim, reached Lobon. Yotzom Yishom Ovola Aram Noraim. Yeah, again, after Yaakov left Aver and went to Aram Noraim, Nimtzekesh Omer Al-Aver Ben Shivim Besheva Shoda. We see that he was 77 years old. And we went to Aver. Oh, and where do we see that? So we've done the calculation. And he was in the yeshiva of Aver for 14 years. But where do we see that Yaakov was not punished for abandoning his parents for those 14 years? The Tanyas we learned in the Bryce and Nimsi, Yosef Shapirish Ma'aviv Eshrim Vishlam Shoda. Yosef separated from his father for 22 years. And Keshem Shapirish Yaakov Ovinu Ma'aviv, the same as Yaakov was separate from his father. Now, the Yaakov Klisin Vishisa Havien, but wasn't Yaakov away from his father for 36 years? In the 14 years of love and the 14 years of shame and aver. What's that? Um, yeah. That's a bit longer, isn't it? Uh, no. And then the eight and eight years he remained by Lovan before he left. It's because you didn't count the 14 years. It says, Again, we still. The calculation still doesn't work out because he was at Lavan for 20 years, not 20, um, sorry, 10 years, not sorry, um, um, tw- 20 years, not 22 years. So Elam Yishum, the Tartin Shinin. No, he actually spent two years delay uh, on his travels. He he extended his travels from just the minimum to two years. The Tanya Yotzei Maram Noraim Uvalo Lesukos for Asa Shom Shmona Eser Chodesh. He was eighteen months on the way home from Aram Noraim. Shenemar says VeYakom Nasa Sukos LeYivin Lo Base LeMikneu Asa Sukos UleMikneu Asa Sukos. He was he travelled from Sukos and he built a house which is necessary for winter and for his cattle he built Sukos Sukos are what you stay in in summer so that and it's plural so one winter and two summers is eighteen months of a base ube base el also shisha chadoshim vehikris vochim and he was in base el for six months and he offered sacrifices so that's how we end up with the full um, twenty two years that he was away from his father. So that's the, that's the calculation. And again, this is all to bring out. We see that learning Torah is greater than Kibbutz Aim, And it seems to be an excuse to be away from your parents, which in other times might be questionable to be away from your parents. But for learning Torah, that's fine because it's greater. Just one interesting question they ask is, uh, was it at all Kibbutz Aim? Remember, Rivka and Yitzchak sent Yaakov away and sent him to go to Lavon, to go get married. So all this was part of that. So there are a few answers given, um, but the best on, the one of the best answers that I heard is no, because he was at Lavon for 14 years. Again, that was all to get married. Because remember, he worked for seven years for Rachel, then, then uh, Lavan tricked him, so he married Rachel, Alea, and then he married Rachel and worked another seven years, and then he waited another few years for his sons to grow up a bit and to make some money off Lavan. He should have gone home straight away. And that gave an opening for the Satan to accuse Yosef. He could say, he now says to Yosef, okay, so you said the only reason you were here was because of Kivurava Aim because your parents told you to get married. Okay, so that was after 14 years. What have you been hanging around here? And by the fact that you've been hanging around shows that that wasn't your intention. It's similar, you know, people say, you know, when I have time, I'll... Uh, 
I'll uh, whatever fix up the fix, do some maintenance on my house. Or when I have time, I'll go learn Torah. If they have time and they don't do it, so then they have a day off work and they don't do that maintenance or they don't go learn Torah. It shows that they never really had intent to do it. So it, even though they had an excuse, it undoes the validity of the excuse. It means you're, you you do have an excuse, but your excuse isn't true. So that's why once he hung around Lovon for a few more years after getting after paying off the 14 years to get married, then it shows that really maybe he didn't have a very good excuse the 14 years as well. Okay, so that's uh, one answer to that uh, question, um, an interesting calculation. Um, and that's three joshes on the importance, again, the huge, as we pointed out, none of these, when you have a choice between learning Torah and doing these mitzvahs, you generally have to do the mitzvahs. Saving a life, building base amigdash, honoring your parents. When you have, when it's weighed up one against the other. But there's an aspect of the, the, someone who's given the opportunity to learn Torah. We see the value of it. Okay, not the obligation to perform it. But the value of it outweighs even these three most significant mitzvahs. Okay, Hadron Allah Megillah Nikres, Hadron Allah Megillah Nikres, Hadron Allah Megillah Nikres. Let's go on to the second parak, the new parak. Now we're going to discuss the laws of reading the Megillah. So, HaKoyres HaMegillah if he reads the Megillah out of order, Lo Yotzi does not fulfill his obligation. Now, what does out of order mean? So, we know with the Megillah, never mind if you read two psukim out of order, even if you read a whole parak out of order, that is problematic. So, for example, you arrive late and you miss the first parak of the Megillah reading. So, you think, you know, let me listen from the second parak till the tenth, till the end of the Megillah, and then I'll just get them to read me the first parak. It doesn't count as you fulfilled your mitzvah. It has to be done in order. We'll discuss it a bit more in the Gemara. If it's read off by heart, or if he reads it in Aramaic, or in any language, he doesn't fulfill his obligation. You can read it for someone who speaks a foreign language in that foreign language, and someone who only speaks a foreign language, who hears it in Hebrew, Yotzah fulfills his obligation. So very, um, just two points on this. One is, we see that Aramaic is a greater language. There's some aspects that we see. There's Hebrew, which is the holiest language. Then there's Aramaic, and then there's other languages. So he's saying not only Aramaic, but even other languages, you don't fulfill your obligation unless it's the language that you speak in. If you speak English, then the Megillah can be done in English and you would fulfill your obligation. However, if the Megillah was done for us in uh, French, we would not fulfill our obligation because you don't understand it. But if it's done in Hebrew, even though we don't understand it, we would fulfill our obligation. And there's a discussion. What happens if you understand Hebrew and a second language? Can it be done in the second language? But we shouldn't discuss that. But let's carry on. Kriya say ruging. If you read it uh, intermittently, I with pauses, or misnandem, or dozing off, Yotzi, you still fulfill your obligation. Hoyoksuva, if he was writing the Megillah, or Dorsha, or expounding the Megillah. I like going through the last period. We've just about, I mean, we didn't do every possible, but we've just about read the whole Megillah over the last few days. So what happens if someone on Purim is going through this Gemara, reading the Psukim and expounding them at the same time? Or Magia, he's going through the Megillah, reading it and fixing it up. If he has intention, he fulfills his obligation. The Imlav, Lo Yotso. And if not, he does not fulfill his obligation. 
Um, just very quickly, we had a machlokas in Rosh Hashanah. Do mitzvahs require kavana? Do you have to concentrate for mitzvah? Do you have to have intent to be doing the mitzvah? Or is just having done the action enough? So according to the opinion that you do have to have intention that I am doing this for the mitzvah, obviously you have to have kavana. If your intent is to write the Megillah, or your intent is to explain the Megillah, to teach the Megillah, well then you still need to have the intent that I'm reading it for the mitzvah. And then you'd be fulfill the obligation. But even the run points out that even... So what, what would it mean according to the opinion that mitzvahs don't need kavana? As long as you do the action of the mitzvah, even if you didn't have in mind that it's for the mitzvah, you fulfill the obligation. So he says kavana here would be to make sure that you read every word. If you're... Le- again, let's say you, you're teaching the Megillah, so you go through the psukim that we've been through, you're missing a few psukim. So you have to have kavana to make sure that you're saying every single possible. Or even if you're writing the Megillah. So you're going to read a Pasuk and then you're going to write that Pasuk. Make sure that you read every single Pasuk and don't just look at some of it and not read it. Okay, carrying on. If you write with all these different types of uh, inks or writing things, on different types of uh, papers, you do not fulfill your obligation. Unless it's written in Hebrew, Al on a parchment with dior with proper ink. And the Gemara will discuss what those are, but that's the basic rule. It has to be written on parchment with proper ink in Ashuris. In Hebrew. Okay, let's go on to the Gemara. The Gemara says, Minani what's the source that if you read the Megillah out of order, you don't fulfill the obligation? So Amarovad Amakra, Kizmanom. says you should as it's written and like it's d- days. I remember what days are Purim, the 14th or the 15th. You can never have the 15th of Adar before the 14th of Adar. It says, Just as you can never have its times out of order, so too you can't have it written or read out of order. says, But wait, that passage is not talking about reading the Megillah, the mitzvah of the Megillah. That's talking about celebrating Purim, I the other mitzvahs. As it's written, to do these two days. How do you do? So I don't know if you remember towards the beginning of the, of the Megillah, we had Oisim meant doing the mitzvahs of celebrating Purim, whereas Zechira was the way the Megillah referred to reading the Megillah. So it says Oisim, it's to do. So it's not, so you're right, it must be from here. These days will be. Remember, I you'll read the Megillah Vanasim and practice. Ishkish Zakhira Asiya. It connects the remembering to the practicing. Ma Asiya to your yeah, reading to the actions, to the mitzvot. Ma Asiya Lama Lord, just as you can't keep the days of Purim out of order, you have to do the 14th before the 15th. Af Zakhira Lama Lord, so to rem- the remembering, the reading of the Megillah cannot be done out of order. Okay, so that's the source that the Megillah cannot be done. Then it says, Tanav b'chein b'halal, b'chein b'kriyashma u'v'tfilah. So too with halal, so too with kriyashma, and so too with the Amida, or the Shmon they cannot be done out of order. Now just before we go further, there's an interesting discussion. So we say by, um, by the Megillah, we said it's even if you read, obviously if you read Psukim out of order, you don't fulfill the obligation, but even if you read entire chunks, out of order, the whole peric or the whole paragraph out of order, you don't fulfill the obligation. What about um, Kriyashma? So Kriyashma, the Ritva says very interestingly, ideally you should do it all in order, but you only don't fulfill the obligation if you do Psukim out of order. 
If you would do whole paragraphs of the Shema out of order, remember the Shema is made out of three paragraphs. If you do those three paragraphs out of order, you would still fulfill your obligation as primarily the Psukim. So what about Halal? So the Mishnah Bruce says, wants to say with Halal it's primarily the Psukim, but he brings other opinions and there are quite a few other opinions who say no. Halal, even the paragraphs have to be said in order. So then the question is, what's the logic? Why would we say... Um, if you think about it, we can apply logic to work out what has to be said in order and what can't be said in order, what doesn't have to be said in order. By the Megillah, remember, the, it's the unfolding of the story, the praise of Hashem, because we see how Hashem's looked after us from day one and He prepared the cures and how, how what a dangerous situation. The story, the Megillah, only makes sense if you read it in order. So obviously, to publicize the miracle and praise Hashem for the Purim story, you have to read it in order. Kriyashma. It's three paragraphs in different places of the Chumash. And therefore, you should have to read them. It doesn't matter if you read the paragraphs out of order. Yes. Azeli, um, <laughs> if there's a, like a letter missing in the Megillah, is it similar to a sacred Torah that it's possible? Um, we're less strict. We're coming to the laws of writing of writing the Megillah. At the moment, it seems this the focus of the first half of this Mishnah is the laws of reading the Megillah, if you notice, the last halacha was what it had to be read with, and we'll get to the halachas of uh, of what makes the Megillah possible or kosher when, in, in the writing of it. So we'll get there. Um, so back to Halal. So Halal actually is a set of Tehillim in order, and therefore of para- uh, chapters of Tehillim, and it's in order. So maybe because there are a few connected paragraphs in their order, you have to do it in the order. Or another reason, the pre uh, the pre actually gives a very interesting reading. He says Halal is also a story. It's also chronolo- chronological. If you follow the order of Halal, it starts with Yitzhiyas, the Geula from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and then it moves on to the other goddess, then it goes on to Mashiach and Gog, and um, the rebuilding of the Beis Hamidash in the future. So it also follows a story. That's uh, Therefore, he says Halal also paragraphs should be written in order. So again, by Halal, it's a question, but let's carry on. Now the Gemara is going to ask the source for all these different halachas that they have to be read in order. So Halal bin Olin. How do we know that Halal has to be said in the right order? Rabbi Omar Dilsi, we're going to have a few answers. Rabbi Omar Dilsi, from the, when the sun starts to shine until it sets, and the apostle continues, um, Hashem should be Praised. So just as it's comparing the praise to sunrise and sunset, has to be done in order. Rav Yosef Omar, Rav Yosef brings a different pasuk in Hal. It says, On this day, is this is what Hashem did on this day. But again, a day is always in order. So, Hashem no That's when we praise Hashem. And Rav Yosef May Hashem be the name of Hashem be blessed. Now Yehi says it's got to be as it is. I, just as it's in order, so too when you give over and bless Hashem's name, it has to be in order. And Rav Nachum, Yitzhak, Tamer, Rav Acham, Yaakov, Omer, Mehacha, Mehatob, Yad Olam. From now until eternity, I praise Hashem from now and for all eternity. Um, that again is chronological teaching us that Halal has to be said chronological. Kriyashma, how do you know that Kriyashma has to be done in order? The Tanya, as we learned in the Brisa, Kriyashma Kichsovah Divrei Rebbe. Rebbe says, 
Kriya Shema has to be said in Hebrew. I, as it's written, and the Chachomim say you can say Kriya Shema in any language. My time at the Rebbe, what's the source for Rebbe? Because it says, Vohoyu. Vohoyu at Vorim And therefore we know that, remember again, Vohoyu is, it has to be as it is. Vohoyu. So, it must be as it is. So that's how Rebbe said, uh, sorry. So, as it's in Hebrew, it must be said in Hebrew. Rabban and my time, oh, and the rabbis said that it could be done in any language. Omakrol, the Apostle says, Shema. Here. That implies in any language that you understand. Interesting, Shema doesn't literally mean just hear the words, it means almost comprehend, understand them. And that's why it, it, when you see the word Shema, it implies in any way that you'll understand in any language. So, the Rebbe, Nami Hoksiv Shema, but Rebbe, it also says Shema. That's to teach us a different aloha, that you have to hear what you are saying. It's not good enough to just think Shema. It's not good enough to just mouth it. You have to actually hear what you're saying. There's an interesting discussion when it says you have to hear what you're saying. Is that hear, actually literally hear the words? Or, or theoretically it has to be said loud enough to hear. So what happens if you're saying Kriya Shema and there's some music blaring in the background? Doesn't mean as long as you're saying it loud enough that if there wasn't the noise you would hear what you're saying, but you literally have to say it loud enough that you can hear what you Then it says, Verabonon, where do they learn this halacha from that you have to say it loud enough to hear? Sovri command Omar Hakoire Shma he holds according to the opinions that the, the Rabbonin hold that if you say it, even if you can't hear it, or you say it, you just mouth the words, you fulfill the obligation. So that's what um, so that's why they don't use that for Shema. Of Rabbonin Ami but according to the Rabbonin, the Pasuk also says implying that it must just as it's in written in Hebrew, it must be said in Hebrew. That's telling us that you mustn't read it out of order. Of Rebbe, Where does Rebbe learn um, that it can't be said out of order? Midvorim, Hadvorim. From instead of saying Dvorim, it says Hadvorim, emphasizing that it must be said in those order. Rabbon and Dvorim, Hadvorim, Loi Mashmalu, and the Rabbonon don't learn any drosha. So, by the way, from this discussion of Rebbe and the Rabbonon of whether you can say he. Um, whether you have to say Kriya Shema in Hebrew, we deduce that part of the discussion is they both hold that you cannot say it out of order. So that's, as we said, the Psukim can't be said out of order. Now we're going to try and work out based on this. Yes. At this time, um, books were not, they weren't books, people didn't govern from a book. Yeah. So there was a, Shalech uh, Tiburu was reading what what he was reading in Hebrew from a sefer. The people who were listening were listening. What were they doing? It's not like today that we have a, a, a sefer which is written yeah. in Hebrew or maybe in French or in you know, yeah. I don't know some Arabic language. Yeah. So look, I think so how, how how did this come about that there was even this discussion? Um, so I think look, firstly, a lot of people knew Shema of Bahat. From a, from a young age, they were trained to know the davening of Bahat. Interesting enough, that is why, that's one of the main reasons we have the repetition of the Amida for those who don't know how to daven. 
Um, so, so you're 100% true in that, but I think there were many people were taught to daven off by heart. Those who, those who went to the right schools got taught how to daven off by heart. Um, and that's, that's how this discussion came about. And then also the question here in theory is, can the Shriat Sibur say it aloud? What's better? You live in Johannesburg and most of your community does not know Hebrew or doesn't know it well enough that they can understand what they're saying. So maybe the Shriat Sibur should, instead of saying it aloud in Hebrew, you should say it aloud in English. So that would be the Machlokes, Rebbe and um, um, yeah, when we have a mitzvah to do Kriyashma, what should you write? Is it better? Can you can you say it in another language, or would you have would the Shliatzi would have to say it in English? Would fit with you? But even for those who know it off by heart, can they say, "Look, I'm more comfortable with English"? Can or let's say you ta- um, a young child, he never learned Hebrew, so he was taught the Shema in English. So should he say, can he fulfill his mitzvah of Kriyashma by saying it in English? That would be simply that would be where the context arises. But it's a uh, yeah. Like you said, a lot of that, a lot of the davening was instituted, and a lot of the part of the chazan is because people didn't know how to daven. But ideally, they were. I think ideally, people knew knew the davening off by heart. Um, okay, lema of a rebbe kolatora kula. Now we're going to try to juice from what we've just said what they hold regarding the rest of the Torah. So granted, kriyashma rebbe says has to be done in Hebrew, and the rabbanon say it can be done in any language. What do they hold regarding the rest of the Sefer Torah? It seems Rebbe holds the rest of the Torah can be said in any language. If you held that the whole Torah could only be said in Hebrew, why would it have to say that I, the Shema must be done in Hebrew? Must be. It's, it must be that Shema is to be done in Hebrew, but the rest of the Torah doesn't. So when says, no, Israel He says, no, we still need the Vahyu because you might have thought, like the Rabbonin here, Shema. Shema says in, when the word Shema implies in any language. So he needs Vahyu to tell us no, specifically in Hebrew. But the rest of the Torah also has to be done in Hebrew. So it can't prove either way. Let's say that the rabbis hold the whole Torah must be said in Hebrew. If you hold that the Torah has to, could be said in any language, why do we need the Pasuk Shema, which implies you can say Kriyashma in any language. We know you can say the whole Torah in any language, so it's necessary. Because maybe you would have thought when it says, it's like Rebbe telling us that it has to be done in Hebrew, so we need Shema to counterbalance and Kosov Rachman Shema, so that's why the Torah Shema. Okay, so we can't work out what they hold regarding the rest of the Torah. Just the interesting is here, Rashi says when we talk about the rest of the Torah, we talk about Kriyasa Torah. When you lay in Shul, we try to work out, can you lay in another language or do you have to lay in Hebrew. That's the question. Um, Mervyn, this is taking it to the next level um, with laning. But Tosas there can't be discussing laning because you're trying to wor- use words in the Chumash to determine whether laning can be done in Hebrew or English, in English. And that's. Uh, and laning, Kriyasatori, is only a mitzvah drabonon. So I think the, the simple answer for Rashi could be along the lines of, you know, when you are reading the Torah publicly, maybe there still are requirements to read it as it is in Lashon HaKodesh and not English. But again, it's a difficult question. If Kriyas, the mitzvah Kriyas HaTorah is only in, is the Rabbonon, the Torah wouldn't address what language you have to do. 
do it in. Um, but Tosos come along, and this could also be what when Rashi is referring to. So there's certain times, certain mitzvahs we find where you have to say a paragraph. Like someone who brings Bikurim. He says a whole paragraph in the Beis Amidash when he brings it. Uh, Chalitza, there's a paragraph you say. Eglarufa, um, Pasha Zohar, remembering the destroying Amalek. Are those mitzvahs that you have to say the paragraph? So the question would be, do we say it's the same as Shema? I according to Rebbe, has to be done in Hebrew, and according to Rabbana, can be done in any language, or is it different? So that would be the question there. These paragraphs that you have to say elsewhere. Okay, let's carry on to the next teaching. Um, we now move on to Tefillah. How do we know that the davening has to be done? The Shemona Esrei, the 18 brachas, it's often referred to as the 18 brachas, but really if you count it, they're 19 brachas, and it's obviously the weekday Amidah. On Shabbos and Yom Tov, it's just about always seven, except Rosh Hashanah where it's nine brachas. But again, how do we know that each bracha has to be said in order? If you skip one of the brachas, and you carry it on in the Amidah, you can't just add that bracha in. You'd have to go back to the bracha you skipped, and say the Amidah from there. It has to be done in order. It says, And how do we know this? The Tanya's been in the right. Shimon HaPakuli arranged the 18 brachas. Before Rabban Gamliel. Allah said in the particular order, Biyavne when they were in Yavne. Now Omri Biyoshman, Rabbi Yoshman says for Omri Law Bamanisa Tana, and some say it's actually a Braisa, May of Eshim Zakane with him come in a Vim Tiknushmana Eshra Brochos Allah Sader. There were 120 sages, and amongst them a few Navim, and they instituted the 18 Brochos in order. So we have two sources, we have Shimon Apakuli and we have the Anchek Nesis Akdola, that's the 120 elders, who instituted it in order. The Gomorrah will ask. If the Anshay Knesset HaGadola did it a few hundred years earlier. Remember, Mordechai, we've said, was one of the Anshay Knesset HaGadola. So if, if the Amida was already instituted by them in a 120 years, um, in the times of Mordechai, and now we discuss in Ramon Gamliel to, um, in the time of the second Beis Amigdash, towards the end of the second Beis Amigdash, what's... Uh, you know, Yavne might have been even after the destruction. Um... Why do we why do we have to teach it twice? The Gemara will address that in tomorrow's daf. But it says Tonin Abonin, Minayin Sha'imrim. Now we're going to go and show the order and where we get the order. So the Amida was built. You've got to remember, as we said, who instituted the the Amida? 120 sages and amongst them Navim. So it's incredibly deep. And each word and each phrase is built on deeper principles and concepts and psukim and paragraphs in the Amida, and obviously the focus is of the essential things that we need to praise Hashem for, the requests, the things we need to ask Hashem for, and the things we need to, the aspects we need to thank Hashem for. That's the general structure, praise, requests, and thanks. And again, it's all built on very deep principles and based on tsukim. So he says, How do we know that we say avos? That's the first brach of the Amida. Um, I don't know if you have a sirah very nearby, but it'd be useful. We're going to go through each bracha, say why it's there in the Amida. So ton, uh, where do we get that? You say avos. Avos is where we remember, we praise Hashem for keeping us safe in the merit of our forefathers. So Shenemar, as it says, hovul Hashem um, Mention before Hashem the, the benayilim, the mighty ones, the... Um, the Avos. How do you know that we say the second bracha of the Amida? Shenemar, as it says, Hovul Hashem Kavod Attribute to Hashem glory and 
Mat. Gvura power. How do we know that we say, this is what we call Atokadosh? Hashem's holiness. Shneimar says, "Hovu la Hashem kavod shemo yishtachuvu la Hashem b'hadras kodesh and bow down to Hashem with His holy splendor." So then we praise Hashem for His holiness. Oh, Maro Eloimer bina achar kedusha. What did they see that they instituted bina atochonein the bracha on wisdom that Hashem should grant us wisdom after kedusha? Shneimar, as it says, "Viktishu es kedosh Yaakov veesel okay Yisrael yaritzu," and they sanctify the kodesh, the kedusha of. Yaakov, um, etc. The Somichle, and afterwards the Posuk says, for Yodu Tairuach, and those who make mistakes in spirit, new bina understanding. So, can we see after the Kedusha as Kadosh Yaakov, the next Posuk mentions that they were given bina. So, after Kadusha, you daven for bina. Umara Uloimer Tshuva Achar Bina. What do they see to institute the Brocha of Tshuva? Hashem, return us to your Torah and bring us close to your avoid it. Tshuva, after Bina, after Atoho name. You'll see as it's written, Yovin His heart will understand and he will Vishov, he will do Tshuva, Verapelo, and he will be healed. I, interesting, I mean, this is logical because you first have to understand who Hashem is. And the value and the importance of doing mitzvahs and not doing affairs, and then you can do tshuva, then you can go close to Hashem. So that's why you need bina before tshuva, and that's what the pasuk says: Ula, ula vavo yovin, his heart will comprehend, will understand it, and then he will do. Oh, basre If that's the case, we should say the bracha for refuah straight after tshuva, because as we see, it says. Bina, Shuva, and then Verapelo, he'll be healed. Says don't think that you should do it in that order. el Hashem you will return to Hashem and he will show mercy because he does a lot of forgiveness. So we see after doing Shuva, Vashuva Hashem and Hashem will show mercy and he will give forgiveness. So that's why after Shuva we daven for, we do slich um um, um so, sorry, so how does that mitigo? Um because again after Chuva comes Hashem Slicha Hashem's forgiveness. Oh So wait, we've got two pos two psukim. One posuk says um, the one we just read says, you'll do tshuva and then Hashem forgives. So we say, oh, the bracha for forgiveness must come after the bracha for tshuva. But why don't we rely on the earlier pasuk which says, after tshuva comes healing. So he says, no, there's another pasuk which enlightens us. He says, The one who forgives me for all my sins and who heals me from all my sicknesses ailments and who redeems us from the deep uh, the dark depths so so we see that again this pasuk says that there's refua is after slicha after forgiveness this pasuk is clearly telling us that geula and refua must be after slicha but again what about the pasuk that says you do tshuva and then you healed Implying that healing comes after tshuva. That refuah, that healing is not referring to healing from ailments. 
That's refer from forgiveness. I Hashem forgiving us is in a way a spiritual healing. Now and why do we say Geula as the seventh bracha? That's uh, Why do we see that, say that in the seventh bracha? Again, if you look at the posuk earlier, it says He will forgive me for my sins, He will heal me from my sickness, and then He will redeem me. So we see that, so, so it should actually be the other way around. So, Omarava mitosha atidim ligael, since they will be redeemed in the future, Bishvi is in the seventh year, lefichach kvua Bishvi is, therefore they set the bracha of Geula in Shviz. I mean, interestingly enough, this bracha of Geula is not about the future redemption. There are other brachas that refer to the future redemption. This is personal redemption, I, from your difficulties. That's the tshuva we're speaking about. Um, sorry, that's the geula, but it's still the contrast to, oh, just as the geula will be in the seventh year, there will be in, uh, seven years, and then Mashiach will come, the geula will come. So too, we institute the broch in the seventh years. Of says, wait, but that's not true. In the sixth year, there will be lots of noise. In the seventh year, there will be war. And in Motzei Shviz, that's when David will come. So it's actually the eighth year. So he says, no, the war is the start of the Geula. Okay, then we say, so that's why we do Geula 7th bracha. Oh, so why did they say Rafur in the 8th year? Now, again, this is a little bit difficult because we know, we've said, we brought, we lumped these three together, Slicha, Rafur, and Geula. And we said, Ochuva, Slicha, Geula, Rafur. So once we're saying that you've got to say Slicha has to come after Tshuva and then Geula's got to come after in the seventh, obviously Rafua has to be the eighth bracha. So it seems um, um, the Marsho explains that no. Again, the Pasuk said you should say Rafua and then Geula. And we switched us to say, you know what, let's move Geula earlier because of the seventh year. It says, but you've got to have more than that to just leave out Rafua when the Pasuk mentioned it earlier. So now we're going to add another reason why there's why there's more reason to move Rafua to the eighth bracha. It says, No, since the Mila was given on the eighth day, which requires Rafua, therefore it was set in, at the eighth bracha. Oh, Uma Loima Birchas Hashonim Betishis. Why do we say Birchas Hashonim? That's a Borachel Haino, it's Hashonah Hazois, and that's a bracha for Hashem's, uh, um, for abundance, for a year of successful harvest, and for Parnosa. Why is that the ninth bracha? So, Omar Rav Alexandri, Rav, um, Alexandri said, Kenegen Mafkia Sha'orib. That's interesting. That's said according to those who want to raise prices un, uh, unfairly. Uh, they used to manipulate the market. Wealthy people used to manipulate the market to try and make more money of other people. Deceive as it's written, shovel zera rosha, break the strength, the zera rosha of the mighty. Um, again, Rashi explains that to Hilim, it speaks about stealing, but it speaks about stealing from the poor. Now, generally, you don't steal from the poor. You steal from, it's much more better. If you are a thief, 
you know, rather target wealthy people, not poor people. So he says it's a special type of, he explains Rashi from the context there, it's this sort of price fixing, which again affects the poor people much worse than it affects the wealthy people. So you know, wealthy people can get through inflation and all these things. It's the poor people that really start to struggle when there's price fixing and these sort of things. So that's why, that's, uh, that's what that Tehillim is about. Again, and the way that it says it's done is, um, it's through abundance of produce. There'll be so much produce that they won't be able to withhold and manipulate the markets because everything's readily available. So that's birchas hashonim. Ah, v'david ki omru betishus omru. And that tehillim is the ninth tehillim. Interesting, if you look in our sifrei tehillim, it's the tenth. But elsewhere, the Gemara says that the first two tehillim, what we count as tehillim aleph and tehillim pays, that's actually one tehillim. So that's the that's so it's the ninth tehillim. Oh, Maroi Lomer Kibutz Goliath Acha Birchas Hashanim. And why do we speak about the ingathering of the exile? To Kabush Shofar Godol Achrei etc. Gathering the ingathering of the exiles after Birchas Hashanim. To see as it's written, Vatem Harei Yisrael, mountains of Yisrael. Prepare your branches and your fruit to give to the nation Israel because the, they're coming, it's very soon when they're coming. So we see that the produce must be prepared for B'nai Israel when they come into Eretz Israel. Once the Jews will be gathered, all the exiles will be gathered together, that's when the Roshon will be judged. As it says, um, I will turn my hand against you and I will um, I'll purge the, the ones who shouldn't be there. Um, and then it says, and I will return my judges as in as first. Uh, so that's what, um, so that we see. Um, um, so, so, yeah, so we see there that Hashem, after Hashem has gathered the Jews together, then he will judge the wicked and get rid of them. And that's Belam al Shnim al And then he says, Vakibin Shosa Din Minarashoim, Kalu Hapoishim Vakoila Lazadi Mimohem. And once Hashem has extracted punishment from the. Sorry. So, 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 so sorry, that's when they will be judged. And once they've judged, then they will be, he will extract judgment from the poishim. Have a koilel, and some translate, uh, have the gifts of the min in the heretics. Um, and included in them, Zaydim and Mohem, Shenemar, it says, Vesheva poishim v'chatim yachtov, v'oiz v'ashem yichlu, they will all be destroyed. So that's Velamal Shinim. Sorry, so yeah, so after Takabah Shofar, after the ingathering of the exiles, we have... Um, return to us the judges so that we have good judgment and then the Roshoyim will be judged and removed from B'nai Israel. that's V'lam al-Shlim etc. and once the evil the sinners have been destroyed the care and the pride of the Tzadikim will be raised cut down the horn the pride of the Roshoyim and I will raise the prize exalt the pride of the tzaddikim, the koilel geiri had said, and just in the broch, if you know, when we say Allah tzaddikim, so now we've done, so that's return the judges, velam al shunim, and now we on to Allah tzaddikim, and including the broch, it says Allah tzaddikim, Allah chasrim, val zikne, am chol basis, rabbal al plate, asrofeim, etc. 
How do we know to include the righteous converts with tzaddikim? It speaks about showing honor to your elders and your sages. And right after it says, When a convert dwells amongst you. And then we carry on to the next bracha and we'll leave with this last bracha before we come. Where will the tzaddikim be exalted? In Yerushalayim. Shenemar says, Shalu Shalom Yerushalayim Yishulav Avecho. Ohavecho. Sorry, Ohavayich. So that is why after um, Allah tzaddikim, Allah chasidim, etc., we then go on to the Yerushalayim. Okay, and we'll carry on with the order of the brachas tomorrow.